We owe uh, Pastor Linda and I, and I think this congregation owes you a lot of thanks, Dr. Paul. I think uh, there are not many who would stand up and stand out and just do what the Lord has told them to do. And at a time in our lives when the Holy Spirit was really, really stirring us and doing new things in us, one of the things that he began to do is began to help us to feel things and to experience things from the spirit realm that we didn't really have a language for. And as we began to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I don't know for sure what this is about. You know, we were somewhat comfortable and familiar with uh, some manifestations of the Holy Spirit and some activities such as visions from the Lord and dreams from the Lord and, and even prophetic intercession and even experiencing the power of God. Uh, but we hadn't become comfortable and didn't have a language and didn't have permission uh, for much in the area of discerning of spirits and discerning of angels, uh, discerning of demonic, discerning people's gifts and anointings and feeling things in our bodies like that. And so as we began to cry out to the Lord and wondering whether or not we were just going off the edge a little bit too far, uh, the Lord uh, orchestrated our steps and brought us in contact with uh, Dr. Paul. And uh, he has paid a tremendous price and has also studied a great deal and received a great deal from the Lord. And I don't want to limit him, or I don't want to limit you to just operating uh, and talking about discerning of spirits. You can talk about whatever you want to or do whatever you want to. But I just wanted to publicly give thanks to this man in, in this particular area of my life. Uh, this is a spiritual father for me, and I just wanted to uh, stand before my friends and honor you and tell you thank you so much for things seen and unseen, and thank you for what you've released in my life and in the life of this congregation, and we're grateful. Would you express appreciation to Dr. Paul? Now, quite often, I forgot to say this, quite often uh, when we have guests in or uh, people like Paul, uh, children's ministry, we're going to release the children's workers at noon, so there'll be a little sign that comes up on the screen uh, that says, remember your children. Don't be offended by that. We're not trying to quench the Holy Spirit, you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, just get your children and, and bring them back in here, whatever is happening. Sometimes, you know, we just don't want to be ruled by the clock. But uh, at the same time, we want to be sensitive to those who are volunteering and taking care of your children today. So when that comes up, whatever else is happening, go get your kids. And then if God's still doing stuff in here, then then we'll just yield to that. Just bring them back in and we'll just have a good time. Does that make sense? Okay. Have fun, buddy. I just say that uh, Pastor Joel and Pastor Linda are two of our favorite people in the world. And uh, they serve on our board of directors and they have put up with us. For that, we are very, very grateful. I always have a difficulty um, coming back to the same place many times. And uh, Pastor Linda uh, is a very strong arm twister, in case you've not noticed. <laughs> and I, I said, Pastor Linda, you know, I've been here many times, and I've, I've done my thing. And she says, that's all right, you'll have something new next year. And I, I said, well, I don't know, and, but I do. So, I was at a, another state, another church that I'd been many, many times, and I got to Sunday night, and I finally had to uh, go to my computer and glean and, and, and draw and make up something that I could do that night. And so we got, we got to the uh, evening service, and... I get up, and what often happens with me is all of a sudden I start discerning something new. And, and so I felt what to be a fire. Now, I have discerned the seraphim, we talked about that, and the angel of the Lord, but, but this was different. And so I, I just learned, I just, I just stop and say, okay, what is going on here now? Well, my friend Roger Fields, who is from North Carolina, um, said, I see a lava over there. And instantly I realized uh, that the tabernacle had shown up. And, uh, okay, well, that's nice. And there was a time in my life somewhere in this distant past that I appreciated the tabernacle. But that certainly was not what I had my notes for. And so I go, and I'm, I'm feeling now across the, the, uh, the front of the church, and sure enough, the whole tabernacle is there. And so I said, okay, we're going to have to have some help here. And so people started getting Bible verses and scriptures, and we sort of did with uh, 
couple hundred people, a Bible study. And then I, I thought, well, I think they're supposed to walk through the tabernacle. And so um, I said, okay, it's over, it starts here. Holy of Holies is over here. And so they, they start walking through the, uh, the tabernacle. And I, I, I kind of positioned the people there, and I, I was just sitting watching. Well, all sorts of interesting things started happening. People were getting blasted, first of all. And then um, I got this report later. Uh, people had gone outside and were starting to throw up. They were being delivered. And then, this is, this is the most exciting story. Two non-Christian young men in their 20s walked through the tabernacle. And their comment was, Whoa, what was that? Demons were leaving me. The following night, which was on a Monday night, they went to a healing service at the same church, they accepted Christ, and they were baptized the following Sunday. And I might add, and several people left the church because of that. (laughs) Now this makes perfect sense to me, because we don't want people getting saved and delivered in church. And I would, I would certainly leave a church over that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not being too sarcastic, am I? <laughs> you know, we, we respond very interestingly to the move of God. I shared yesterday that we believe about the Bible, not in the Bible. See, we believe that, that those things happen back there, but... They're certainly not going to happen now, and, and, but they may happen in the future. But anything that happens now that is biblical, we're a little suspicious of. Now, I, want, I need to check, because I haven't checked yet. But I think the tabernacle's here. Is that where it starts? Yeah. Okay. Here's the gate. Here's the wall. Here's the brazen altar. Is that right? Here's the lava. Up this tall. For those of you who are going, what is he doing? <laughs> Paul has moves in a gift of discernment, and he is able to discern what's here in the room, say, in the realm of the Spirit. And so if you are not trained in these things and you have not availed yourself to the higher levels in God, that's what he's doing, and he can actually feel. And he's taught many of us how to do this too. So this is not strange. This is normal Christianity here. Just read the Word of God, okay? Just because you didn't know about it or never seen it before does not mean it's not in the Word of God. Good word. Yeah, and I would recommend that you be- become childlike. There are things that you cannot receive unless you become what? Yeah. The things of the kingdom are for children. So I would recommend that we play. You know, you used to do that a lot. Remember when life was fun? I remember that. Remember that? When life was fun and you used to see things and pretend things and play and and it was it was another reality. Well, let's enter into another reality of child likeness. So, uh, we just we bless what he's doing. Thank you. I encourage you anytime to jump in. Here is the tent. Remember, in fact, can we have the picture? This is the tent here. And um, the tent is now one room because the the veil has been rent. And here's the back wall. And right here is the entrance to the Holy of Holies. Now, I'm grateful for what they said, but I want to show you that this is the reality and not that. Biblically, this is the reality. You see, we have been convinced that only that which we can see is the reality. Haven't we? It was not figured out up here 
then it's not real. But you know, you break that principle every day. You listen to television. You watch television. I would, I would dare you to look now and see Channel 2. Anywhere here. It's not here. As you go home, you'll turn to Channel 2 and watch it. And you'll be convinced that that is reality. But the reality is Channel 2 is here, isn't it? This is the reality. That is the manifestation of the reality. You ready to look at this? Okay. Well, I went home after the tabernacle showed up. I thought, well, I needed to study about the tabernacle again because... I didn't remember what I had preached on. You see, we who are pastors, well, I'll speak for myself, not for them. Just because you preach on something doesn't mean you remember it. So what, what does the Bible say about the tabernacle? Exodus 35 through Exodus 40 are the chapters, chapters that talk about the tabernacle. And I actually went home and I found in my li- library a, an old book, 1955, by Dr. DeHaan. Remember Dr. DeHaan? Yeah, by Dr. DeHaan on the tabernacle. And so it, it's a little book, and I went through and I started studying on the tabernacle, and I learned all sorts of interesting things. And then I learned, and this was, this was one of the most profound experiences of my entire life, that since 1991, when God gave me the gift of discernment, and he started teaching me to discern different spiritual beings, that everything that he had taught me since 1991 is in the tabernacle. And so for me, it has been a puzzle. And the Lord has been putting together a puzzle. And he was giving me one piece at a time, and I learn it, and I teach it, I have a sermon on it. Then he gave me another piece of the puzzle, then I teach it, and I learn it. And I, I, I start putting it together, but I did not know what it was until the tabernacle showed up. And it was not even until after that that the thought came to my mind, everything that you have learned is in the tabernacle. Everything that we discussed yesterday were pieces of the puzzle that are in the tabernacle. For you see, the tabernacle speaks of Jesus. It is a foreshadowing of Jesus. But not only that, it is in the New Testament. And at the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the tabernacle again is going to be made manifest. So let's look at that, okay? Now, in the Bible there's only one tabernacle, there's only one place of meeting, there's only one place of sacrifice. The Bible does not say, and Jesus is one of the doors. Jesus is not just a way. What did he say? You have to to deal with Jesus on this part. He does not say, I am a way and a truth and a life. He says what? I am the way. There's only one tabernacle and there's only one entrance into the tabernacle. Now, Dr. Jehan calculated the cost of the tabernacle back in 1955, and you can do many interesting things with the Internet now, and you actually can go and put in the cost of something in 1955, and it will tell you what it costs today. It's very interesting. They take into account the cost of living and all that. That tent, which is not there anymore, thank you, the tent, instead of the tabernacle itself, is the tent. That's what tabernacle means. And then, of course, you have the outer court, and then you have the walls around the tabernacle itself. That tent today would cost $14.5 million. And he said then, it is the most expensive structure of that size in the world. And he's probably still true. And you're thinking, why in the world would that Tent costs that much. You would not go out and buy a Coleman tent for that. 
Maybe on sale for $13 million, but not $14.5. Now the material for the tabernacle came from an offering. And the offering is mentioned in Exodus 36, 6-7. And this is a great passage. I don't think um, pastors Joel or Linda have ever said this to you. But it's in this passage. Now Moses finally issues an order, because he's collecting the offering for the tabernacle, and he says this. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from giving, because they had given too much. Now, has that been a problem here? Not once have you got up and said, You need to stop giving, because... You have given too much. And that's true. That's what happened. Now the size of the, the whole compound is 75 feet wide and 150 feet long. So it's the size of an ordinary city lot. The tent itself, which we call the tabernacle, the holy place and the holy of holies, was 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, and 45 feet long, which is the size of an extra-large living room. At the eastern side was a gate. Now, for our purposes today, this is where the gate is. It was 30 feet wide. Now, what's very interesting, and we're going to have you walk through if you want to. Okay, here's the gate. Now, I put my hand through... When I put my hand through, this is very interesting. I, I feel anointing on my head here. We shared yesterday that we are seated with Christ where? In heavenly places. When I put my hand through here, we actually go into a heavenly place. And I want you to, you can actually feel this. You can feel the atmospheric change when you do this. Now the Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye what? Gates. This is a gate. Some of you are like us, and you like Stargate, Star Trek. This is a portal. It literally is what they call a Stargate. It's an entrance into another dimension. Have I lost too many of you yet? Thank you. I do not want to come back and find out that I have destroyed Open Bible Fellowship. (laughs) There is one gate, one entrance. Jesus says, I am the door. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. The gate had a curtain over it. It was made... There's a cloth made of blue, which speaks of heaven and perfection. It also is the book of John, which talks about Jesus as the Son of God. It is purple, royalty, which speaks of kingship. That is the book of Matthew. It is made of scarlet, which speaks of his blood and his sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect servant. That is the book of Mark. And it speaks... Is made of white, which is purity and perfection. The perfect man. That is the book of Luke. Now the walls of the tent, so we're talking about the actual tent itself, were gold-plated acacia woods. There were boards made of acacia wood, which speaks of the incorruptible nature of Jesus Christ, because the desert wood was so hard that it wouldn't was very difficult for it to be destroyed. The wood speaks of his humanity. Each board in the tent itself was 15 feet long and two and a quarter feet wide. There are 24 boards each for the two long sides and six boards each for the two short sides. The boards were tied together with five horizontal gold-plated bars of wood. Start seeing all the money involved here. On each side, which passed through golden hoops 
attached to the boards from end to end. Now what is very interesting is that these boards that were the vertical ones rested in sockets of solid silver. Each socket, there's 100 sockets, each socket weighed about 100 pounds. Now, remember, this is a portable tent. And you had to carry all this stuff around the desert for 40 years. Now, think of this. That is five tons of silver. Now, in each of these blocks of silver, there was a hole, and the, the, the wood, the pole, would sit in this socket of silver, and it was paid for with the redemption tax. So the whole tabernacle rested on redemption. In fact, it is called the atonement money. Every single person in in the tribes of Israel had to pay the tax. It was equivalent to three dollars today apiece. So it was not astronomical. You pay more than that at McDonald's. The first piece of furniture, and there are seven pieces in the tabernacle, the first piece of furniture is called the altar or burnt offering, also called the brazen altar. It was the first thing you saw when you came through the gate. This speaks of the cross. Remember yesterday we talked about the angel of the Lord and the furnace. This is the furnace. This is the angel of the Lord. This is the pillar of fire. This is the furnace mentioned in Malachi 3 and 4. It is a place where sin is taken care of. Where there is deliverance. We have people that were delivered walking through this piece of furniture. On the altar were four horns. Perhaps you've seen them. They look like you cut an orange in quarters and then you put the, um, the, the, the fruit in towards the center. And it was on these horns on the altar that they would tie their sacrifice. The actual altar was, altar was made of wood, which speaks of the humanity of Jesus Christ. It was overlaid with brass, which speaks of judgment in the Bible. It was a place of judgment. Now, the first time that fire came on the altar did not come from man, because there can be strange fire or demonic fire. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24 we are told that the fire came from heaven, which must have been a very spectacular sight. And so the fire, the fire lights the altar, and from that point on, the altar has to be lit continuously, which means, I would assume, that even as they carried it, it was still on fire. It was still burning. It was from that fire that the altar of incense, which is in the holy place, was lit. Now, as you go out throughout the tabernacle, which is the tent, or even in the courtyard where the the altar burnt offering is, or the lava is, you will notice that there are no chairs, because the priest work was to be done continuously. But something happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is crucified, and remember that the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies was rent, and then we are told that Jesus ascended into heaven, and for the first time, the high priest sat. Not only that, but the Bible says that we are now seated with him which speaks to the fact that now the work is done. 
It's an amazing thing that we are seated and we are in a state of rest because the redemptive work has now been accomplished. Now the next piece that we come to is the lava. And this is a very interesting piece in that the dimensions are not given in the Bible for the construction of the lava. It was constructed of... uh, See, it's made of brass, and probably brass overlaid of wood, and the brass was collected from the women. When the women left Egypt, remember they got all their pay for 400 years. Remember that? And the women got these brass mirrors. Well, it was the brass mirrors that, that they gave that became the the basis for the construction of the lava, which means, which speaks of giving up the flesh and pride in the old nature. No dimensions are given to the lava. Now the priest would walk back and forth in the tabernacle, in the tent, and in the courtyard, but since there was no floor, their feet would always get dirty, and their hands would get dirty. So there, the lava was a place of continual washing, where they washed their hands and their feet. Remember, Peter came to Jesus and says, well, Jesus cleaned all of me, and what does Jesus say? No, only your feet. Now, I like this. There is no dimension to the lava. The lava is dimensional. There is no limit to the washing. Let me say that again. There is no limit to the washing of the feet. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is speaking to the Christians and not the non-Christians. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There is no limit. I believe that this is the river of God. I also believe this is where the Son of Righteousness is. This is the pool of Bethesda. This is the pool of healing. It's the pool of healing. And right now, I believe the Lord is saying that He is stirring the waters. Okay, we then go into the tent. In the tent, there is a roof. And the roof is made up of a ceiling and three other layers of cloth. The actual ceiling, which is only seen by the priest and the high priest, is very beautiful. When the unbeliever looks at Christ... That's what they see. They see something drab and bland. It is not until you go inside that you see the beauty of Christ. Remember it says in Isaiah, for he had no beauty that we would behold him. Now let me describe this inside ceiling. It is magnificent. It was only visible from the inside. It was embroidered with gold, which speaks of the regal nature of Christ, with purple, which speaks of His royal nature, with blue, which speaks of His heavenly nature, and scarlet, which speaks of His sacrificial offering for us. Woven into this linen, white linen ceiling are cherubim. And the cherubim are always looking down upon the worshipers. It was made of ten separate curtains. And this whole ceiling speaks of the glory of Jesus Christ. A layer of cloth was made over that, which of course was not seen. It was a layer of goat hair. It speaks as Christ as our sin bearer. Remember that you had to have the scapegoat, where the sins once a year were placed on this goat and it was led out into the wilderness. The goat was an animal that was fit for sacrifice. The next layer up was a layer of ram skin dyed a bright red. Ram also was a 
substitute sacrifice for the sinner. The fourth layer, which is the layer that you see out here, was made of porpoise skin. Now, last time I did this, someone had this question. Where did they find porpoise in the desert? This is a good question, isn't it? Well, the Bible tells us, the people gave up their shoes, which were made of porpoise skin, for the purpose of that curtain. And remember, their shoes were replaced, but what happened to those shoes? Those shoes never wore out for 40 years. Isn't God fun? Now, there are pegs that held down the tent, and they were pins made of brass which were resistant to rust and corrosion. This speaks of the incorruptible uh, life and death of Christ, and they were buried deep into the ground. We have no indication that this tent or the walls around the courtyard ever fell. Now, this is an amazing thing when you think that this was in the desert. Now, we live in the desert. There is no lack of wind in the desert. You cannot accuse us of being in a calm place. The desert is a windy place, but it never fell because it was made securely. In fact, the the walls are tied down with cords, and you see the cords there coming down off of the actual tabernacle itself. And Hosea, is very interesting, talks about the cords of his love. Now, the holy place, which is uh, inside of the tent, there's two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. Now there's only one room, incidentally, because the, the curtain's been rent. But at that time, the holy place was 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high. In the holy place, there are three pieces of furniture. As you're facing west, so this is west, on the north side is the table of showbread. It was a very small table. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It was three feet long, one half feet wide, excuse me, one half feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high. So it was really short. On it were 12 loaves of bread. They were replaced every Sabbath. Had a gold crown around it to keep the bread on there. And it was there that the priest would eat at the end of the one cycle of week. They would fellowship and eat the 12 loaves of bread. The bread itself was flavored with frankincense. This was the food for the priest. At this table, the priest worship and fellowship daily. This speaks of Christ as our living word and as our food. On the south side, which would be on this side, is the lampstand. Remember we talked yesterday about the lampstand and the two olive trees with the oil. This is where the trees of life would be in the tabernacle. There was no other light in the tabernacle. This was the only light. Olive oil was used, which speaks to the Holy Spirit. And there were seven branches to this lampstand. And those seven branches are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11. Then closest to the Holy of Holies was the altar of incense. This would be where the seraphim are. Remember? In Isaiah chapter 6. The altar of incense was made of wood overlaid with pure gold. This is called the golden altar. It was the place where incense burned continually. And we are told that incense speaks of intercession. Psalm 141.2 Then my prayers be set before you as incense. And blood was placed on this altar once a year by the high priest. And then the high priest once a year would take a censer which would hold the, the coals. It would be taken into the Holy of Holies and the coals were, and the censers and the incense were waved over the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the Holy of Holies, 
beyond the veil, which was then rent, of course, at the crucifixion of Jesus, is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when you take the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, you have a cube. Now, I want you just to remember a little bit of what we talked about yesterday about the cubes. The Holy of Holies is a cube. The Ark of the Covenant with mercy seat is a cube. The city of God is what? Is a cube. So you have a cube and a cube and a cube. And I believe that this is all interdimensional. The Ark is also mentioned in Revelation eleven nineteen. Why don't you turn over there? Okay, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and a great hail. Now, I was curious about this, because I want to start putting some things together. We are the temple of God, right? Now, it says in Revelation that, that in heaven, heaven was open, and there was a temple. Now, in the Greek, there are two words for temple. One speaks of the entire structure of a temple, of any pagan temple. There's another word that speaks only of the most holy place in that temple. That is the word that is used for temple here. We are the temple of the Lord. In other words, we, in a mysterious way, have the holy place and the holy of holies in us. Now the Bible speaks of this. In Philippians it says that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So we are both in the holy of holies and the holy place but also the holy of holies and the holy place is in us. Which is an amazing thing. Remember that the ark of the covenant is also the throne of God. So in the ark, around the ark of the covenant, you have the 24 elders. You also have the cherubim, the living creatures. And this whole throne of God rides on the crystal sea and on the cherubim. It is a portable throne. In the Ark of Covenant, you have three items. You have a sample of the manna. You have Aaron's rod that budded. And you have the Ten Commandments. The high priest would only go into the Holy of Holies once a year until the time of Christ when the veil was rent. And now it is asked access for all of us. The mercy seat, which sits on the Ark of the Covenant, remember it has the two cherubim on either side, the mercy seat is also called the seat of propitiation. That's a very complex word. It basically means it's the place of satisfaction. God was satisfied with the sacrifice of His Son by the shedding of his blood for our sins. When that blood was put onto the mercy seat in heaven, he was satisfied that the payment had been paid. It is a very interesting word. When you take that Greek word and turn it into a Hebrew word, is the word K-A-P-H-A-R, and the word means to cover. And it's the same word that was used for the pitch that was put in between the wood in Noah's ark. Now this is very fascinating, because you see, that pitch kept the judgment of God from touching Noah's family. And so it is, so it is, that the blood of Christ, when placed on the seat, the mercy seat, keeps judgment from touching us. 
if we accept Christ as our Savior. Now, the Holy of Holies is very interesting. There's only room for one at a time in the Holy of Holies. It is the place of intimacy. It is Solomon's bedchamber. It is the place of rest. It's the place for Jesus and you and no one else. It is the place where he has your full attention and you have his full attention. Think of that. The creator of heaven and earth meets with you personally in the Holy of Holies at the mercy seat. Now I want to look at Hebrews chapter 8. Because we're coming full circle now. Hebrews chapter 8. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary. Okay, what's the sanctuary? That's the tent. And the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Get that. The true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Look at this. These human priests serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That is a copy of the true tabernacle. This is the true tabernacle. It's in the Bible, isn't it? Isn't that what it says? The, the priest only served the copy. This is the true one. If you look at Revelation 21.3. This speaks of a future time. I'm wondering if it may be a present time. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and they will be, and he will be their God. Now the tabernacle was corrupted one day. The sons of Eli finished... Phineas and Hophni, they took the ark out of the Holy of Holies. Now, I, 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 the question I have is, how did they get it out of there? Because they weren't even supposed to be in there. That was for Eli, the high priest, no one else. They took the ark, the manifest presence of God, the place where his glory would rest. They took that ark and they took it into the Philistine territory. It was captured by the Philistines. It was taken into the temple of Dagon. Now remember, it was only there for one night, and in the morning, what happened? Dagon, the statue of Dagon, had fallen. But I, I want to make an observation. This is like a major revelation in my life. What happens in temples in the ancient world? They would do human sacrifices and temple prostitution. And we believe that actually human sacrifices took place on the ark, that the blood of those human sacrifices dripped in onto God's covenant, and in essence, the, the sons of Eli gave the ark to the enemy. And it was defiled. 
Now, I remained there, I believe, for about six months in the territory of the Philistines. We do not know how much defilement took place. We do know that the dedication of the Temple of Solomon, when the ark was placed into the Holy of Holies, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 that only the Ten Commandments were in there. And it is suspected that the Philistines took out the rod, which spoke of authority, and they took out the bread, which is provision. And they stole it. I wonder how much of that defilement actually led to the fall of the nation of Israel. I was curious, when I looked at the the dedication of the temple... It does not say that the glory of God came and rested on the mercy seat. It said that he came and filled the temple. Now the Bible says that one day there is going to be a new tabernacle. Look at Acts fifteen sixteen. After this I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, I will set it up so that the rest of mankind... Look at this, this is interesting. The result of the setting up of the tabernacle is that the rest of mankind may may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. I am wondering if now that what God is doing with the manifestation of the true tabernacle... This is a precursor to an evangelistic revival outbreak in the earth. I wonder. Finally, what is it to walk through the tabernacle? Isaiah 55, excuse me, Isaiah 35 Verse 8. A highway shall be there in a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but shall be for others. Whoever walks this road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and it really means in peace and safety. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I wonder, this is speculation, if this is the highway of holiness. People have reported to me, not everybody, but some have said that Jesus joined them at the gate and walked them through the tabernacle, saying, understand, all this speaks of me. We invite you now to walk through the tabernacle. Now, some of us experience the presence of God in different ways. Some of you may not be aware of anything. Others of you are going to have to be carried out. You are not more spiritual if you react. Is that clear? I believe Jesus wants to have an encounter with you. And go through by yourself or his families. And what we're going to do is, Joel and Linda, I'm going to have you come stand with the Holy of Holies. <clears throat> so here is the. It's right here, so stand there. There. Okay, then can you help assign people when you two people at the gate? Okay. Don't be the lover? You and your wife? Okay, right here. Oh! Okay, we need two people at the brazen altar. Yeah! 
I want you to see if you can feel there's fire here on the altar. Need two people at the gate. Here's the brazen altar. Two people, two people at the gate. Here's the gate, right there. Now, put your hand. Just remember Stargate. Put your hand through the the water. See, you can actually feel the change. The gate is right here. So we're just having people position either to help you through. Or just so you understand, so this is the gate. This is the altar. The fire. This is the lava. Okay, now we need two people in the holy place. Right here. The showbread. The lampstand. And here are the seraphim on the altar. On the golden altar. So right here and here. And then we'll need maybe some men on the other side just for catchers and ushers. Now this is really a very holy time. And we do not want you to speed through, but we want you to be aware that there's a lot of you. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you are going to be prone to linger, and I, I, I don't want to rush you, but just be sensitive to others that are behind you. We are not keeping score or checking off to see whether you go through or not. That's, that's not up to me. That's up to you. I want you to discern as you get to each place. The Lord will verify that what I'm saying is true. It's not my responsibility. And we just worship. Thank you. Okay, as you're ready now, you can just start going through.